Hello, and welcome to the first episode of 2023 of Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks, we take a look at a batch of comics, then watch the related MCU movie or TV show. And then after we're done, we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer the most important of questions, who told the tale best, the books or the screen adaptation? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, Happy New Year to you. Hey, Happy New Year to you and yours as well, Dwayne. It's good to be here. Man. It is. It felt weird not having an episode last week, but we are going to change that right now. We're gonna get yep. together. We got we got some books to talk about. Yep. Welcome back, everybody. Hope your new year is starting well, and uh, thanks for being back with us for the start of our second year. So yes, this, this is indeed the anniversary too, because we started the first the first, first podcast week in January. Yeah, phases was first week in January, so we've been at this for a year. But yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We are. Moving back into the MCU, back into the second phase. Uh, and this week we're actually going to put the spotlight back on Captain America uh, with a focus on two of his most important supporting characters. First we've got Bucky Barnes and then Sam Wilson. And actually, technically, first we've got Sam Wilson and then Bucky Barnes. <laughs> yes. We'll get yeah. to that. Both of them have a long history with Cap. Today we're going to be sampling a few old uh, key Falcon comics from the 1970s. Uh, actually, 1960s and early 70s, as well as taking a look at the brilliant reintroduction of Bucky that was done by Ed Brubaker when he turned him into the Winter Soldier in 2005. All right, folks, so we are going to get ready here for uh, talking a little bit about Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Normally, we would go through and have a bit of news about the, uh, the industry and, and the like, but this year, I've actually got a few... Uh, best ofs and Dwayne, I think you have as well. A, a few, yeah, surprisingly enough. <laughs> Absolutely. So we are going to post those as a second podcast a little later in the week uh, so we can save some time and make sure that we don't run too long here on our episode talking about Cap. All right, with that out of the way, let's let's move in and let's talk about the history. Get, get everyone caught up to speed on, on Captain America as we get dive into this discussion this week. All right. Well, with that, we should return to the past, just like Captain America is going to be doing regularly in these books. So yes. we're going to head back to 2005. Um, let's go ahead. Uh, first off, I've got us a little bit of kind of just for anybody who doesn't know Captain America, we'll start out by bringing everybody back up to speed, and then uh, a couple other things. So anything else you wanted to talk about uh, before we go on to that? No, let's let's jump in, jump in and let's talk about Cap Captain America to bring us up. Because we, we've talked about Captain America before once before. We, this is the, we're going into the <laughs> second movie. So, so we've talked about Captain America once before. Yep, we actually covered Cap in episodes 12 and 13 of this podcast, where we looked at some of his early comics and then the Sentinel of Liberty books that actually allowed us to go in and kind of see a retrospective of his career a bit. And then, of course, we covered the movie as well. So 
But Gap, though, you know, after debuting in 1940, he'd quickly become an icon and a symbol for America in World War II. He then faded into obscurity in the late 40s. After being out of the public eye for most of the 50s, he then returned in Stanley and Jack Kirby's Avengers No. 4 in 1963, quickly returned to prominence in that uh, and in the new Marvel Universe, got his own title again in 1968, and he's been a monthly presence at comic stores ever since. Over that time, a lot has happened, though, and Cap's supporting cast is actually one of the larger and sort of more varied ones uh, in comics, especially outside of his villains, just his actual people who are in his sphere as, as allies. He's had numerous sidekicks, partners, girlfriends, uh, also a number of people who've given military assistance from soldiers, shield operators uh, of basically all ranks. And even today now, Steve Rogers is being published currently. He, he shares the title of Captain America in the Marvel Universe at this point with Sam Wilson. His monthly adventures are happening in Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, the new series that takes that title, not the old one. And it features many of the same characters that we're going to be talking about in the books today. So, started a long time ago, still going strong. Yes, yes. So, uh, before we jump in and start talking about the books for this week, we who is who are we going to be spotlighting in the creator profile this week? This just seems a little bit almost too on point, right? But Ed Brubaker is probably my favorite modern comic book writer, full stop. Been like 20 years now he's been doing work at DC and Marvel, as well as for smaller publishers. And over that time he's also, you know, done a lot of interesting things. Now he's, he's recently teamed up with Image Comics on a series of original graphic novels, like the one that I'd mentioned uh, as my 2022 favorite. Uh, these are actually where he and Sean Phillips are going in, writing the entire book, illustrating the entire book, and then just publishing it as a single story instead of using the normal publishing model where comics sort of, in order to make sure that writers and artists had a monthly living, they published the pamphlets and then you'd roll them up into a graphic novel at the end and send it to Barnes & Noble. Well, they're skipping that entire weekly or, or monthly publishing and just doing the books which means they no longer have to deal with all of the the act breaks at the end of an issue and you know making sure they've got callbacks or whatever it's just a novel now instead of a bunch of pamphlets so really love those Brubaker is actually kind of an interesting fellow because he grew up in a military family, had a father who was in military intelligence, his mother was a therapist, uh, his, stepfa uh, his stepfather also a therapist, originally was raised in Guantanamo Bay, uh, moved to California with his family and, and bounced around at, at military bases, ended up in a number of times being taken to his mother's um, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings as he got older and it sounds like a lot of the stories he's got with sort of people who are having a tough time and who are addicts and who are are dealing with these sorts of problems came from the fact that he would be there listening to these people in those meetings when he was a kid from an early age though this guy really seemed almost destined to be a comic book writer he learned to read with comics that his dad got from other guys at the base when he was a kid. When he was eight, 
He actually went to Comic-Con for the first time and got to go and learn to draw Batman from Bob Kane, the guy who actually created Batman, which <laughs> Comic-Con now is very different than it was then, right? It was a small I, I event so. <laughs> just, for, just for comic book fans and uh, not the massive thing it is now. But he's been around a long time. Um, he's got an uncle who was a screenwriter, and actually one of his screenwriter credits was on something called Murder, My Sweet, from 1944, which is exactly the sort of film noir type of thing that he's now making comics about. So he's just got a lot of things in his environment that sort of built this guy who was uniquely qualified to write stories about sort of damaged people and these noir environments. Uh, he specializes in grounded fiction. And the thing is that at the core, most of it is about this weird baggage that people have with the past and this sort of deep fallibility of human beings that hmm. so many people in Brubaker's comics end up doing things that hurt the people they care about and hurt themselves. And they know better and they don't seem to be able to help themselves. And it's really interesting stuff. So his stories kind of fit in with that hard-boiled sort of type of movie. Um, and he's got now a couple of partners. Sean Phillips, who's the fellow that he's doing stuff with now. Him and Michael Lark, who did some of the art in these books, have done a lot of things together. So he also sort of has found certain artists who work really well in dark shadow kind of things and whatever and works with them. What's kind of amazing, though, is that he wasn't just somebody who did that noir stuff. He's actually been really successful in the comic superhero world when he decides to. So he did good work on Batman and Gotham Central, which is a favorite book of mine from back in the day at DC. And then at Marvel, he managed to come in, take over Captain America, and he actually merged that talent for writing troubled and desperate characters with this long-lost sort of, you know, very, very sketchily um, understood character called Bucky from pa Captain America's past and ended up giving us the Winter Soldier. I think the Winter Soldier is a perfect Ed Brubaker character in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's going to be fun talking to you guys about it today. But so, as much as any creator working in comics, though, I would, I would say that if you see a book with Ed Brubaker's name on it, that's almost like a stamp of quality. Because there's almost nothing he does that isn't good. Yeah. Yep. Definitely, uh, after we get done talking about these books, I think you'll, I think you'll see why. But let's, let's first jump in and let's talk about the older issues from the 60s and 70s and, and learn a little bit about Sam Wilson. Because I will tell you, as somebody that, um, uh, that, that is a lot more versed in the MCU than he is in the comics, I was not real familiar with Sam Wilson. I have not actually seen um, the second Captain America movie, and I have not actually watched uh, the TV show yet um, that that came out that that featured um, Winter Soldier and 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 really? so I, yeah, I I I I kind of have. It, well, it came out at it. It came out at a time when I I wasn't able to watch the. I I hadn't fully immersed myself in MCU with Thor and. 
Captain America. It was Iron Man that got me. And I mean, I ended up jumping into the other stuff when Iron Man started appearing in like Civil War and stuff like that. And and so there was there was these four movies, the first two Thor, the first two Captain America movies that I had not seen. And man, I feel like I missed a lot because the first first one of both of those the first one of each of those movies was was fabulous and and while dark world wasn't fantastic it, it definitely was worth watching and so i'm i'm very curious to see this movie next week but it was fun getting to kind of meet the falcon for the first time in these books all right well this this is going to be interesting then so you really have no <laughs> You have no previous kind of like exposure to the movie version of the Falcon or anything like that, other than just seeing him in a few of the big, the big team up things like an appearance in Endgame type of thing or something. Yes, like that. that that is right. that is that is the extent of my my familiarity with the character. So you have a you have a very good movie that you haven't seen coming up next week as well. I, we I will say that I have attempted to stack the deck again by giving you <laughs> giving you 14 books this week that I will put up against any movie but this is a pretty good movie we're going to be watching so it'll be interesting to see which one uh, which one you think comes out on top that you like better right so the, what we're going to do then though is talk about two comics we've got Captain America number 117 from 1969 this is written by Stan Lee, drawn by Gene Colan. Colan's one of my favorite artists. He's a classic. Did a lot of stuff on Tomb of Dracula and stuff. Really a great artist. Um, and this is actually our introduction to Sam Wilson. Because it's an issue where Captain America is actually transported to an island by the Red Skull using the Cosmic Cube. The Skull's enemies then mistake Cap for the Skull when he sort of drops out of the sky in front of them. Which makes sense, because before this and previous issues, the Red Skull had actually switched bodies with the with Steve Rogers. So Cap is actually in the Red Skull's body, and the Red Skull is in Cap's body, like hanging around in New York, just being yeah. awful to people and making him look bad. <laughs> so in any case, we'll deal with that later. The... Essentially, those guys are all bad guys. They attack him, and there's a, a falcon who comes in and starts to sort of dive bomb them and helps to scatter them, and, and Cap gets away from the bad guys. It turns out that this is actually the Falcon Red Wing, and Sam Wilson is there. He's a falcon trainer from New York who's been hired to come to this island, and then it turns out he wasn't really hired. He was being, like, abducted to be kept there and work for free type of stuff and the like so together they sort of help defeat things cap makes him a costume because he's like hey yep. if you're gonna do this yeah and, and like a full-on superhero costume on this island with to my knowledge no sewing machines around or anything like this i don't know how it happens but yeah. he's like yeah. everyone needs needs a name and a and and, a, and an outfit and a symbol and then suddenly you see this like half open 
uh, you know, green suit at the end and, and he calls him the Falcon. It's, it's actually, it's kind of amusing and campy, but also quite cute at the same time. Now, here's what I have to ask you about this. This is from 1969. This is sort of Marvel at its sort of story-churning apex. You had no idea what was going on here, right? There's no. there's a cosmic cube involved. The skull is doing weird things. There's characters coming at it from all over. Did it cause you any trouble, or were you able to just kind of read the whole story, and you're like, this is entertaining, and then you move on? I mean, you, you kind of braced me for it. You did say there's some weird stuff going on. Just kind of go with it and, and enjoy. And so I didn't I didn't think too hard about it. Uh, you know, the first thing is you see this guy that is Red Skull and he's talking like Captain America in his own head. And you're like, what the heck is going on? And then you see Captain America acting like a jerk to a bunch of people in New York. And you're like, Okay, this is really weird. <laughs> and then all of a yep. sudden there's just there's just this, you know, he's in front of uh, you know, Captain America as Red Skull's getting attacked, and then there's this Falcon and 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 then we yeah. learned that yeah, he's from Sam Wilson's from Harlem and he like raised pigeons and like he but he became like infatuated with Falcons and then got got you know got kind of coerced into coming to this island and he's like i'm not even sure really why i'm here and so it as far as like just like really great storytelling goes i i would say that i've read better stories but at the same time it was fine it it was it was like i said it was campy but it was kind of fun at the same time let me put it this way When we were reading a lot of the stuff from the early 60s, like the early Thor comics or some of the early Avengers, they kind of bored you. Did this really bore you? This, I wouldn't say this bored me, but I would tell you that if I had to read like a bunch of issues like that kind of kept this going, it might have been a little more difficult to get through. But like just reading kind of a one and done sort of scenario like we did this week uh it was it was fine no so this is the way characters came in back in the day though like i mean he was probably what 10 pages from the time we Uh first see him to when he gets a costume and now you're a hero and as of the next couple of issues he's going to be coming in and you know he'll he'll turn into uh sort of a partner for captain america Historically, here's the thing, though, about Falcon that I think we also want to note is, well, yeah, this was kind of a a quick introduction and the origin story is a little weird or whatever. But considering this was 1969, what Lee and Colin are doing here, introducing a black American superhero, is something that really was very novel. There were no black American superheroes at this time in mainstream comics. DC didn't have them. Marvel didn't have them. You had the Black Panther. Of course, he's um, from Wakanda. There's other powerful, rich sorts of black characters occasionally in uh, comics, sometimes as villains, whatever. But all of them are from foreign countries, it seems. So as far as an actual superhero, and especially one that's going to stick around and be a character we'll remember well into the future... Uh, this is a very important issue 
for comics and kind of pointing that way towards uh, making comics that are more like what Lee would call that world outside your window. So some, from small beginnings, right? But that's yeah. uh, something you wouldn't think about these days so much, but it was a big thing back in the day. So then the next book, we have uh, the storyline with the Cosmic Cube and everything. It all gets sorted out. Cap gets his body and mind back. One interesting thing, though, is keep in mind that a lot of these things, the Red Skull wanting Captain America's body is a recurring thing. Uh, yes, and sir. that is why <laughs> you will see that how did, how did they identify that it really was the Red Skull? Do you remember that from... From the Winter Soldier issues or the the Brubaker issues, they wanted to test his blood to see if there they, was serum in there. They well, no, they took a swab. Oh, they took and a they swab. tested. That's what it was. They tested Captain America's DNA against it because right. they're the same guy, or at least the bodies are the same. So, yeah. Well, they both have it like a a, a serum. That they had ingested, right? If I isn't that how that worked? At various times, but at this point, it's just that the skull actually got a copy of or stole a copy of, um, of Steve Rogers' body. Okay. Which then brings with it brings with it, you know, superpowers because there you go, because his DNA and all that has been modified by the serum to make him right different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Skull's messed up in all sorts of ways. But, so number 170 now. Cap, Cap's been, you know, he's back. Falcon's been with him for a while. And in this issue, we now see him going to Wakanda, uh, Sam Wilson, visiting with T'Challa. And T'Challa offers him a gift. He's like, you know, I think that probably as somebody who's called the Falcon, maybe we should equip you with something a little better. We've got some technology here. Let's see what we can figure out. So, in a, in a show that uh, even if they're trying to be more racially sensitive, they're still not particularly sensitive on the sexual politics. No, the uh, the ladies are sent, out, are sent out shopping because they were, they were causing too many problems in the, in the lab or whatever. At which point, one of them gets his, uh, Sam Wilson's girlfriend gets kidnapped. And then he has to take the new wings we see him get, which is when he actually gets his ability to fly. Uh, and hop off uh, into Wakanda to try and save his girlfriend from kidnappers. So, again, relatively quick. He goes out there, hanging with his red and white costume, his new red and white costume, and then a few pages later, it's got wings, and he's flying. So, thoughts on that issue? Uh, yeah, you, you, you touched on kind of the... Uh... The, the the sexist element of it um but like it was it was okay it, it was it was more interesting kind of the the like full page panel display when they he finally does he shows off the wings basically at the end of the issue and because yep. like there's no real there, there's like back and forth between wilson and t'challa but you're not really sure, like what what what's the end result going to be? And then all of a sudden, he's like, finds out yep. this 
aide comes running in and tells T'Challa that that you know the the this the girlfriend Layla has been kidnapped and that they need to go help her and all of a sudden you see Sam Wilson in these this like brilliant looking uh costume with the with these like falcon wings on and it and it looks fantastic and and you find out there's like these like gears and and like basically little jets on the on these uh, on these wings that allow him to fly yep yep it's uh that that was kind of cool and that's sort of the way it normally worked with these sorts of things a lot of times when there was a new costume or whatever they'd hold on to it for a while and then you'd get this big sort of splashy yeah. reveal and then mm-hmm. and then away we'd go so but so those are the two books there the Cap 170 is actually interesting, again, in terms of these were coming out in, like, 1973. It was right around the time you had Watergate. We'd been stuck in Vietnam for a long time. America was starting to have some questions about America, right? And what's interesting is that over the next few issues, and you'd kind of seen some of it happening in the in the book we read as well, Captain America is going to be fighting this group called the Secret Empire. And eventually, about four months from now, uh, from this issue, it would actually come to a head at the White House, and that's the big issue where Cap actually confronts the leader of the Secret Empire, pulls off his mask, and finds out it's actually probably Richard Nixon, who then grabs a gun and shoots himself in the head. So... Steve Englehart oh, actually actually had Nixon kill himself in the Oval Office in in Captain America comics in the 70s. Oh wow. It was never it was never canonized, but Englehart just pretty much confirmed it and everybody else pretty much know cuz he took off he took off the guy's mask and he's like you and then yeah. So that was uh and and then from there you had Cap actually going through a time when he's really dealing with that question of what does it mean to be Captain America? What does it mean to be America? All the rest. So there was a lot of interesting stuff in kind of in that story as well, or leading into that story. So, but so that gets us a little bit of an introduction to Sam Wilson, who mm-hmm. those of you who've already watched the movie out there listening along with us, you know Sam's going to be a big part of this uh the movie we're going to be watching next week i think they did a really interesting job in the movie of sort of staying core to a lot of things that sam wilson's about but also not falling into a lot of the pitfalls that comics fell into on wilson over the years as well because i presented a couple of sort of the better uh stories for the falcon here there were also a lot of real stinkers and sometimes where they went down some bad roads as far as the sort of the direction they took the character. So mm. nonetheless, it's all ended up well. He's co-captain America and doing well now. So right. from uh, early beginnings. So that takes us into sort of our main meal for the day, though. Yes. So these are a little bit different. Uh, instead of reading just one one book and dropping you in and out we're reading 14 issues of the captain america 
volume five, starting in 2004, 2005, time range, depending on. And it went for 30-some issues, but really the first two storylines are the ones we're looking at, and the first two storylines are sort of the ones that have really held up over time as some of the great comics of, of the period. Yeah. So issues one through six are something called Out of Time. Issue seven is a kind of, they call it a, what do they call it, an interlude story? An, an interlude story about Jack yep. Monroe. Yep. And then issues eight through 14 are the Winter Soldier arc. With the exception that number 10 <laughs> is just a thrown in there House of M issue because it was it was event time at Marvel. And so they had to interrupt one of the more interesting and coherent storylines that you've seen in, in a while, probably, and toss in an issue that really has nothing to do with it. So yes. we have two interludes, technically, in, right. this, in this story. But, so that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, it really all kind of wanders together. So I don't know if we want to try and talk about Out of Time first and then Winter Soldier, or just kind of lump it all together, because it's... It's really one storyline. I think that, uh, well, let's see. Let's just talk about what happens, and then we'll go from there. Okay. So issues one through six, they're by Ed Brubaker, Steve Epting, and Michael Art Lark, uh, with Frank Delmata on colors, Randy Gentile on letters. Epting and Lark have very different styles, but they would do things like alternating on one of them would do the flashback series that we're going to see in these and some would do the current day stuff, etc. Both brilliant artists. Essentially what's happening in these is Captain America is being stalked by an ex-Russian officer who blames Cap for the destruction of his village in World War II. The guy's name is Lucan and he kills the Red Skull in the second issue, steals his cosmic cube and then begins to use it to mess with Cap's mind. Lucan is also doing hits on other people besides the Red Skull, and they're being carried out by this sort of shadowy assassin that we just see little bits of here and there as we go along. Mm-hmm. Along the way here, Cap ends up fighting crossbones and preventing AIM from sort of detonating WMDs in various sittings. Also, while dealing with sort of this weird cascade of memories from World War II, many of which he knows are not quite right that essentially something is messing with his memory and he believes this probably indicates that there was still some power left in the cosmic cube and it's being used to sort of tweak his memories to make him not sure of himself and of what's happened in the past so eventually he decides he's got to go back to some of these places and see what actually happened so he goes back to the place where he and Bucky were at when they faced off against Zemo and eventually the plane takes off, Bucky holds on to the plane, he gets stuck on it, he dies. Um, Cap eventually goes into his uh, suspended animation as well. When he's there, he faces off against a bunch of ghosts and, and tries to figure some things out, returns back to New York just in time to see Lucan charge the Cosmic Cube through the power it gets from the deaths that occur in a bunch of horrific terrorist acts. He so, blows up Philadelphia yep. and, and actually ends up killing uh, Sharon Carter's like 
boyfriend yep. boyfriend at the time yeah it's, it's a mm-hmm. little little weird yep and so that takes us to the interval to the to the uh, story about yeah. or to the interlude the story that we have uh, about Jack Monroe what did you think of these first six issues I guess let's just talk a little bit about that wow there were you confused at all I no I I they did a really good job kind of onboarding with this and and actually like the first I thought it was the first issue that ends up the final panel is basically red skull dead on the floor uh from an from the assassin hit and and like i while i wasn't necessarily 100 percent sure who all the players were they did a really good job of as you went started to go through these books they they did a really good job of piecing the story together for you so that even if you didn't necessarily understand who all these people were you 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 by by the end of issue six, I was in. This was a really, really interesting story. And like they had a whole issue where, where they went through the backstory of this Alexander Lucan and, and that revealed that basically uh, that Zemo w- found him uh, after the village was basically liberated by by uh, by Captain America and like all these Nazi forces were killed, including like uh, Lucan's parents and different things like this, and and so it was it was so good, and the art was so interesting, and it was just like you 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 told me when when we got the book assignments, you're like you're just gonna just go flying through these because you're gonna find these so interesting, and that's exactly how it felt, and. Even issue seven, which is the interlude talking about Jack Monroe, who I know absolutely nothing about, uh, they did a really good job of in that single book talking about this very, what ultimately ends up being a very tragic character, and and like and this final story for this character named Nomad, and you know yep. he's basically going insane. That he, you know, he was trying to be Captain America when when Captain America was in that 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 ice stasis and that sort of thing. Tried to change his look and everything to basically be Captain America. And it apparently got to him to the point where he was basically losing his mind. He was seeing things. He was hearing things. He was he had this like genetic defect thing that happened and and like he actually meets with jane foster to try and understand Mm -hmm. what's going on and she was trying to help him and ultimately basically says you you've got like six months or or less and and so he he goes and and basically is trying to do good with what little time he has left he thinks he hears about this big drug plot thing that's going on this drug dealer that's that that's operating at the school where his estranged daughter could be going to school. And so he starts taking out these people and, and he ultimately ends up dead in the parking lot of this, of this bar. And, and you just keep at the beginning of the issue, the title page, you see basically Monroe dead shot next to a car. And, and then you like flashback to like, you know three years ago and then it kind of keeps jumping forward 
and you see just him deteriorate and all this sort of thing and and ultimately find out how he ends up getting shot which is which is kind of the the introduction to to the winter soldier and and it's and it's 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 really something i i really enjoyed that book yep and it's weird but nomad actually is an important part of captain american's history because when they brought cap back kirby and lee knew that they had a problem and that is that the captain america of the 1950s was awful he was just not right like a lot of the things that he did were sort of like stridently anti-communist things which in a a you know post um post 50s light just seemed like they weren't really on the right side of things so they invented the story that there were these other guys who took over for captain america and bucky in the 50s right and he's one of them right yeah that he and this other guy sort of re-engineered the serum took it became captain america and bucky but they didn't quite have the serum right so it sort of drove them a little crazy and over time he also sort of had managed to get things figured out and then he worked with captain america he became cap for a while like he was always kind of on the fringe and he was this tragic character of somebody who wanted to do well but always seemed to screw it up yeah and so and, and then even through to the end but I also think it's interesting that he's killed by Bucky. I'm not entirely sure whether he's killed by Bucky because the other guy forced the hit or or called the hit, or just because Bucky wanted him gone because he knew that he'd been taking his place, or something in Bucky. Yeah, I, I don't know how that works. But I mean, I that's what's know. really happening. Is Bucky is is killing somebody who actually had been playing him for the better part of the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. It was, so. it, it was really, it was, it was really interesting story and, yeah. and one that unexpectedly I, I found my, found myself just really in awe of by the time I got done with the book. Yeah. It was really well done. And again, not surprising because not only is it written by Brubaker, but John Paul Leone, who another uh, fellow we lost, way too early is a master of the comic form and he did that issue as the the artist so again uh brubaker's hitting on all cylinders partly because he's got great artists with him all the time but this was probably a book that was designed to give epting and lark a chance to catch up because neither of them's particularly fast artists but he did a really skillful job of making it something that mattered because after he's killed then Monroe is now being blamed for a lot of these terrorist things in the media yep. and stuff like that. So yep. he's killed partly to make him a scapegoat, which I guess means that it was probably Lucan's idea all along. So Winter yeah. Soldier at this point is not doing a lot of things on his own. So anyway, but we have our we have our uh, sort of like little bit of time off, and then we return to sort of the meat of this entire run which is issues number 8 through uh, 14. This is called The Winter Soldier. And after that issue, focusing on Monroe, um, we're going to get as a six-issue storyline with one issue off for number 10. 
that mixes flashbacks in with the current day storyline. Steve Rogers is out searching for Lucan and the assassin who works for him, and he refuses to believe Fury and Sharon's information that leads them to, them to believe that the killer is his old friend Bucky Barnes, who has been essentially this this person known as the Winter Soldier has been almost like a legend within the intelligence community for a, decades, right? A myth. Uh, a you myth. Know, so, somebody that nobody's ever seen, yet any unexplained death seems to seems yep. to have some air of him being around it. Yep. And, and it's happened over the space of decades, right? Yeah. The same sort of thing. And what they, what they realize is that, in fact, He's being essentially frozen, pulled out of suspended animation to do some stuff, and then brought back in. So whoever this is, is kind of a man walking through time. Um, together, Fury, Cap, and Agent 13 invade the Cronus Corporation headquarters, which is actually a front for Lucan, only to find him there with a bunch of American politicians, and uh, essentially doesn't work out as well as they'd like it to. Um, no. So they're, they're kind of at a standstill. But then, in issue 11, we actually find out that indeed that feared Winter Soldier really is Bucky. Uh, that he was found by the Russian military, he was turned into a weapon, and because his memory was lost, he was actually sort of reprogrammed as a killer and then sent out on these important Russian missions of the Cold War. Uh, Lucan actually then sends Cap this sort of like intelligence file telling him everything about Bucky, including why he was decommissioned in the 70s, uh, all the way back to how he was created. Some interesting things in there is the fact that he was originally decommissioned because he started to actually question or ignore his programming, which gives Cap this idea that maybe there's still a Bucky inside there, even though everybody else is like, look, Bucky died, this is just a shell of him that's going around doing this stuff. Lucan then... Uh, manages to take over another number of other corporations, but he starts to come to distrust the cube after it essentially makes him beat up his own friend, and he sends it out for safe storage to this facility. Cap and the Falcon confront the Winter Soldier there. They fight against his forces. Fury and Sharon come in as well and start uh, adding to the battle. Um, the Falcon is there with him, so they've got basically Cap and the Falcon uh, against the Winter Soldier. And Cap gets the cube temporarily. He uses it to return Bucky's memories. Bucky sort of freaks out, knocks the cube, grabs it, and then essentially destroys it while also wishing himself to get out of there and ends up back at the Air Force Base where he and Cap had trained in the first place. Yeah. And that is the end of it. So there you go. Yeah, there, there the soldiers is a... on the loose. There is a lot of a lot of story here, and that does while while that's a, a great summation of everything that happened. There is there is a lot no justice. There. It is not. Yeah. It is it is masterfully written and drawn. There, particularly, I want to point out there is a two page spread when he uses when Cap uses the cube to give Bucky his memories back. And you see just this collage of images of the Red Skull and like, uh, you know, 
the the plane and and you know Camp Lehigh and or Fort Lehigh and all this sort of thing and it it is just beautiful and and like heartbreaking as well because you're like oh my god this guy is finally understanding everything that's happened to him and that's why he basically just you know screams grabs the cube and then you know there's this just giant like light explosion and he and the cube are gone and you don't really know what's happened at that point so it is this is such a such a great story and yeah it is the the i i was aware of the winter soldier like i knew that that was bucky the winter soldier was bucky i i i get i but i was impressed with how like there is an entire book that's basically the dossier of of this file that explains everything that happened when they 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 thought they were trying to get Captain America in the ice, and what they found was Bucky in the ice. And then they realized that he was had no memory. They didn't even know if they could get him back alive. They were able to resuscitate him, and they're like, "He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't, you know, it's the the, the like the soap opera amnesia thing, right? He he knows how to be a killer, but he doesn't know his own name or who he is, who his friends are, anything." And so there's like, like notes from like the file in various parts, along with images showing how they went through and did this and how he was used as this, uh, you know, weapon uh, to, to, to further, to further, uh, you know, Lucan's kind of uh, uh, agenda for, for a while and, and all this sort of thing. And it was, it was, it was amazing just reading through all that. And I think the other thing that's really missing from anything that's a synopsis like what I made, and I I apologize to you, dear listeners, for the fact that, yeah, this is not in any way enough to really show the subtlety and beauty of those stories. But it's really almost like this fugue on all of these friendships and these relationships that Steve Rogers has made over decades. And yeah. you've got... Sharon Carter talking to Nick Fury and you've got Sharon Carter talking to Cap and Cap talking to Fury and Cap going out and visiting the graves that have been defaced of other men who he fought and worked with and thinking about people from and it's so much about that weight of the past and the weight of all of these people and their years of being together and everything what I think is is amazing is that a lot of this is, you know, there's a lot of action, but a lot of this is them sitting around talking. And a lot of this is more investigative and just, you know, even it's... even when you look at why Lucan and the Red Skull are doing what they're doing, it's all based on ancient grudges and feuds and just that weight of personal history, you know? Yeah, there is so much character development throughout these books that it is just it. There is action. You get action in these books. But at, at the same time, I think you're getting more and better just character development, character story than anything. It is it is it is amazing just how interesting this is, even when, you know, 
you don't have people punching punching each other every other page. Yep. Yeah, it's it's much it's much like a regular Brubaker story where a lot of it happens with just people kind of talking through their past and figuring out what's going on and and sort of making their way through bad situations. Let, let me just note, I, I think, what, what I think one of the coolest parts of this is. And that is that Brubaker talked about when he was a kid. He read The Death of Bucky, which is basically just a, a one-panel Bucky died thing in Avengers number four. Right. And he's like, you know, that's just not a decent way for a character like that to die whatever and he he almost set out in this to correct that but in doing it he also did something that i think is amazing for a character like captain america because cap has been around since the early 60s and the one constant of his existence is his regret that he took this kid into combat and he couldn't protect him and he died yeah and so for captain america Bucky has always been this massive regret for him. And at a certain point with the Winter Soldier storyline, Brubaker gives Captain America that present of being able to finally sort of get past that. Because he's able to save Bucky. Yeah. You know, even now, when he thinks he's a Russian assassin, save Bucky. That's... That is, in fact, one thing where I think when you're watching the movie, Captain America does some very, very questionable things in the movie to protect Bucky. And I don't think the movie maybe can with the amount of time it has, but it doesn't set up properly why Cap does that. And here, I think this story does really give you that yeah. idea of why Captain America would do just about anything to protect Bucky. Yeah. You know? And and how he believes, he, he has to believe in him. Um, but, I, but it really does seem like this is this weird story that gives closure to a character who's been around for a half a century, almost actually a century, right? Uh -huh. uh, and something that happened in 1963 finally gets kind of put right. And it is, it's really kind of cool, you know. And, and and also and also it opened it up because like we know at the end of the 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 issue that the Winter Soldier's sitting at Fort Lehigh, just kind of regretting, I think, his actions. But he's well, he's still alive. He's still there. He there's there can be more interactions between him and and Steve Rogers. That, at some point in the future too. So they, they kind of opened that up as another, you know, storytelling avenue that they could, they could use yep. down the road then too. Yep. And not only in the, in the movies, but also in the comics, Winter Soldier's become a very popular character. Yeah. Somebody who, who they found a lot of story in after these as well. But yeah, so the, the way Bucky was handled also was cool. I think, because they made him a lot more credible. Like in, in the comics, he was like this kid who was getting bullied and suddenly he decides, you know, the early Captain Americas we read before. Right. 
Right. He's just some random kid, and he joins up and stops selling newspapers or whatever and decides to go to war instead. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the Bucky in these comics is this kid whose dad was at the camp, and he you know, died and was orphaned or something, and it just sort of hung around. He's like, he's yeah. everybody's little brother. And he's got amazing fighting skills to the point yeah. where when they dig him out of the ice, one of the reasons why the, the Russians wanted him was they thought he had the serum in him. Because yeah. watching him fight, they couldn't believe he was just a regular man. Yeah. Even though he was a kid, you know. And he, so they he made also, him a lot he, more. He also was older, too, than I think the kind of the original Bucky as well. Like, well, now in the original is, yeah. comics, yeah. Well, like, in the original comics, he was, like, oh, almost yeah. preteen. And, and now they were talking about the fact that he was basically, like, a 16, 17-year-old yeah. kid. Who, who 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 was doing all this and you know he was basically yeah. going through the same training regiment that steve rogers was getting trained to be this this highly trained assassin he just didn't have the uh didn't have the serum in him but was yeah. w- was doing almost serum like having almost serum like ability to him and if he was 16 at the start of war he'd been 20 when he died and then he's had yeah. When they when they bring him out of the ice, he ages while he's out of the ice, which is why he looks like he's about thirty years old, probably in these books. Yeah, he's been around for a while and the like. But so, yeah, I I think that the development on the Bucky character was beautiful. There is something that it's hard if if you're a comic fan. I think that the Captain America Winter Soldier movie hits harder because you know the whole history. But reading these comics beforehand, I think you'll get a much better experience of the movie than what you maybe would have had if you'd gone in cold. Sure. So. I, I could definitely see that. So so I want to talk about the Cosmic Cube just a little bit because like there there was a lot of Cosmic Cube in these in these stories, and I would tell you I'm not entirely like familiar with with this device and its powers and and like it's it's a powerful thing that kind of has a dark side to it i i likened it to like tales from the dark side or the twilight zone or or if you're you know more modern day maybe black mirror a downside Mm -hmm. to using it you get you get you kind of get the thing you want but you don't really get it in the way that you want it sort of sort of thing and and like it's it's really weird, and it also seems like it had like I know Lucan was kind of messing with him through th- with Cap through using the cosmic cube, but it also seemed like maybe that there was a sentience to the cosmic cube as well. That came in later, but yes. Do you want more questions or or no no don't no if you've got. I, yes, you're completely correct. That essentially starting out, and I actually have the first, the first cosmic cube appearance from back in Tales of Suspense, but originally it was sort of just this weird plot device, right? That allowed them to go in, and it was it was pretty much like an Aladdin's lamp. You could wish for whatever you wanted if you had the cosmic cube. The idea being at a certain point that the cube had to be powered up, and if you could keep the power it from getting powered up then you could prevent the bad guys from doing what they wanted, 
which is why you had the ticking clock that you always want in comics, right? Sure, sure. Sometime in the 80s, there did get to be this idea that cosmic cubes weren't just this weird wish power source. They did have a certain sentience to them. And the thing that was strange about that is that I think, as you see in this story, it becomes sort of a monkey's paw, where the cube is doing what you want it to do, and it'll usually agree to do most things, but then there's going to be a few things where it sort of makes you pay for whatever it is it's been giving you. And and also, the cube tends to drive people insane. Yes. Like it's very hard to use it. Like, like, there's a reason Cap doesn't just use the cube to set everything right all the time. You know? Yeah. That you you can use it, and maybe a couple of times it'll do what you want, but then eventually it's going to drive you crazy, and you're going to wreck yourself and probably a good part of the world. Right? So... Yeah, that's that's kind of the cosmic cube thing. It's been used by all sorts of people though. Like Thanos has gone after the cube, and it's in a lot of the the like event sort of things and the like. Anytime they need something really powerful, they will go and do that. It's interesting though that a lot of these cubes are actually created by humans on Earth. Like it's not just a a thing that dropped from someplace or whatever. Like, they build them occasionally. Okay. okay. And it's never a good idea. But, yeah. No. It was one of those things where I wasn't entirely sure. Like, like yeah, you saw... You could see the effects of the cube on Alexander Lucan as he's going through this. Because he's got this, like, you know, um, assistant slash friend slash advisor that he's working with. And the guy's telling him, you know, you're doing that. You know, I get, I get that you want to like mess with Captain America, but you're like being really erratic and doing some really kind of sketchy things that could definitely destroy what you're ultimately trying to do. And 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 finally, Lucan just kind of snaps and puts him in the hospital, and that's and, and like attacks him and like. They're not even sure, mm-hmm. sure like if the guy's going to survive or not. And that's ultimately when he decides that, you know, maybe this cube needs to like go away. I need to stop having direct access to it because, because no. I can't control myself anymore. And that that's, that's how it ends up going to West Virginia where we have this final confrontation between Cap and the Winter Soldier. So it, it's really well, interesting. I will say one thing, the end of issue 14, you see, basically lucan talking to himself but the reflection was the red skull which we saw getting us you know killed at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this story i'm a bit confused is so is lucan the actually the red skull or or is he like somehow has melded with like, is this another one of Red Skulls in a, in somebody's body kind of thing? Or Yep, or Red Skulls somehow during the whole use of, as some sort of punishment for murdering the Red Skull while he was the one in possession of the thing, the new guy somehow or another now has Red Skull wandering around in his head, which can't be awesome. <laughs> no, so it really can't. He's, he's talking to him occasionally and sort of like sees him in the window uh, or, or in mirrors and stuff like that. So... 
Lucan's going to go stark raving mad sometime very soon, just because, you know, that will happen. And Skull is, of course, going to be trying to take over and become the dominant personality, and yeah. Sure, sure. You don't sure. want to be fighting over a body with Red Skull. So, no. um, but yeah, the, the other thing, the Cosmic Cube may have been something that looked sort of familiar to you. Have you seen anything in other Marvel movies that would... It, Looks resemble? like the Tesseract, actually. <laughs> I think it. I think it actually is one hundred percent the Tesseract. I mean, the fact that when you look at the fact that this was found in World War II and almost comes out of like a you know, it's in the first Captain America movie, and Captain America is absolutely, um, you know, associated with. The, uh, with the cosmic cube, that's sort of of all the Mar the Marvel heroes, he's the one who the cube seems to most like messing with. But they decided to adapt it and turn it into Infinity Stone stuff and whatever. So yeah, the the Tesseract really is a cosmic cube. It is the cosmic cube in terms of sure, that. which actually makes more sense in some ways that there's only one of them instead of that people are going around making these things and right. causing trouble with them. So. Yeah. No, so, but it, it, it is a very different thing in the Marvel Universe than it is in the MCU, so. That makes sense. So you wanted to talk, another character that I think we see a lot of and that we are going to get introduced to in the movie, actually, is Sharon Carter, who I, I would tell you as uh, a, a little unfamiliar with, with Sharon Carter and her agent 13 moniker but we, we do mm -hmm. see a lot of her in these books yep she for those of you who are mcu folks uh so far only played by emily van camp and she's been in a number of the movies so sharon carter is a long time sort of uh associate fellow combatant occasional girlfriend of cap she is a highly trained shield agent who's pretty much been through it all over the years. And at the point where we see them in this book, they are no longer dating, but Cap is still sort of protective of her and he doesn't want her getting hurt and whatever and all this sort of stuff. She's like, I don't need you taking care of me. Just leave me alone. I'm going to go out and shoot your friend because he killed my boyfriend. He's like, no, I don't want you to do that. Right? So... They, they kind of are fighting a little bit. But, yeah, she's been in a number of, of comics over the years, has been around forever. And she is actually related to, if you remember, the, if you take the last name, she's related to Peggy hey, Carter. Peggy Carter, yeah. Mm -hmm. So she's actually the, the niece or, I think niece, grandniece, something like this, of, uh, of Peggy Carter. So, kind of odd that, yeah. you know, he's dated <laughs> dated multiple people in the same family, but evidently that's, that's how that goes. So, I liked in these comics the fact that, you know, she really is sort of the third part of the triangle with Nick Fury, where information is being shared usually between two of them, but not the third one. Yeah. And then occasionally they all come together. But for a long time, he's sort of talking about the, you know, the things with Bucky 
And she's like, hey, are we going to tell him? He's like, I don't really want to ruin his world until I know for sure what we've got. But, yeah. So, I, I mostly wanted to talk about her because I was going to say, just how many times have you played Agent 13 onto the Snap Battlefield over the last few months without ever really having read any of her stories? So. Uh, she is one of many characters that I have played a lot of Marvel Snap with and don't really know who they are. So it was really nice to finally uh, get get some story background on, on Agent 13. Yep. So, yeah, very cool stuff. But outside of that, um, so talk Cosmic Cube, talked about our man Bucky. I think that the other just kind of last thing is this has just been a, a great reminder of kind of what a good Captain America story should be and kind of why Cap still matters in the Marvel Universe. Because yeah. really, I mean, not only is he almost 100 years old, but as a as sort of an, an icon, Captain America can sometimes seem a little dated to a lot of folks or even outdated because the idea of, you know, the imperialist running around with the big star on his chest has become a little difficult sometimes. But the man himself remains sort of this compass for the Marvel Universe, where almost always, in the end, you can kind of tell where the right side of the battle is by where Captain America is. Yeah. You know? He very rarely really makes a mistake on that. Uh, even in, like, the Civil War uh, type of thing. You know, he was one of the folks who's like, man, registration just going a little too far we got to maintain our freedoms even as we remain, maintain our security. And really, that's what Civil War is about that we'll be coming to in a while, is that whole idea of trying in a society to balance security against freedom. And yeah. even in a lot of these books, you know, when you go back to something like the 170, where we're getting the secret empire, and then him kind of losing his faith a little bit, when you look at the way he continues to want to believe in his friend and like even over this and you know some of the ways where the methods he uses and the way he does things always seem to be sort of more practical but still generally idealistic it's interesting because when you see the world war ii stuff there are times they're working with people whose methods they obviously don't approve of. But during wartime, things were different too, though. Yeah. Because there were a few of those where it was like Bucky's trying to stop stuff, and he's like, it's not our place, uh, which was a little weird. Yeah. But, it, it, they, they talk about the fact that, you know, Captain America might, might not be able to do all the things he needs to do, and that's why Bucky is there, is to quote-unquote, get his hands dirty so that Steve doesn't have to. And I think that, again, is that whole retcon of the character that really Bucky becomes almost like this ninja assassin that is the, the guy who goes in first on an attack and sort of takes out the perimeter guards and things like this. And Bucky is a badass in the Brubaker way of, of looking at the character and, and the retcon of the character in a way that he never would have been in the yeah. original stories. So, 
I think I, I think I what I like about Captain America is it definitely feels like a character that you almost can aspire to be or aspire to 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 be like this is this is where you always see him kind of doing the right thing and and I and I appreciate and like that about the character and like he doesn't come across as like the goody two shoes necessarily it is it is like he is doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do not because it's the easy thing not because it's for any other reason he just has this moral and ethical compass that is i want to do what's right and and i while i think you could very easily end up making a character that's not interesting i think they do a really good job and 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 brubaker in this especially i think does a really good job of of showing why that why that matters and why that's important and what that means and what that looks like. And, and ultimately it ends up being a really, really good story as a result of it. So now we have, now we have the one, I wouldn't say it's bad because it isn't bad, but the one weird part of this run. And that is that in the middle of this spectacular six issue sort of storyline there's a comic book that doesn't make any sense whatsoever stuck right in the middle of it because the marvel universe during that time had the house of m event this is the one by the way where the scarlet witch sort of made her first villain turn to a certain extent and this is where she whispered no more mutants and sort of reset the entire Marvel Universe to erase the mutant gene from the entire population. Well, at the end of things, that sort of came back again a little bit. But so what this one was, was a storyline that looked at mutants over the, the age of, like, Captain America's tenure, if he didn't go into the ice, where he suddenly had an alternate world, right? Because he was, he survived, Bucky survived, he gets married to Peggy, he goes in front of the HUAC committee and tries to stop them from, uh, or or in front of McCarthy, and tries to stop him from attacking mutants. Then he becomes an astronaut. He does. And all sorts of things happen. But at the end of his life, he's kind of looking back over it. But it's entire what-if alternate universe life of Steve Rogers where he ends up coming back, getting involved kind of politically, trying to defend the rights of mutants to be people, and ends up sort of losing everything because of it. Yeah. He, 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 even even in this alternate timeline, you, you see him doing trying to do the right thing. He's, he's not going to testify against his Namor or Toro or anything like this to McCarthy. You know, he his first words on the moon he talks about it being a big step for humans and mutants and causing a whole bunch of uh feathers to get ruffled as a result of it you know he ends up basically marrying and then divorcing peggy because their their relationship gets strained because she doesn't understand why he's 
keeps insisting on bringing up mutants and trying to get equality there. And it was, it was, it was so weird in, in so far as like, it was just this like fish out of water sort of story. And Cause it was like, I was really engrossed in this story that was going on. And then all of a sudden this book got dropped right in the middle of it. And you know, I could just read through it quickly and then move on to the next one. And it was, you know, it was a hassle, but it was fine. I couldn't imagine being like engrossed in this at the time. And then suddenly this big event yeah. gets, get, gets, gets shoved in, in place of, of what I was expecting. Yeah. This is kind of, to me, the, the worst of the, the big Marvel and DC event sort of, um, idea and that is that occasionally you do have storylines that really do have something going and they're telling a nice coherent story and then suddenly an editorial decision that we're all going to do mutants this month just parachutes something into the middle of that that doesn't have anything to do with it now to his credit what Brubaker decided to do was just say to heck with it and not even try and integrate into the House of M storyline, but just say, you know, I'm going to give my artists another month off. We'll have another artist in to work on this one. Do an alternate storyline thing that just doesn't really connect at all, other than just tangentially to the to the idea, and then just drop back in the next month with our storyline. Yeah. So he just parachuted out, essentially, right? Yeah. Sometimes what would happen instead is you'd have a really good storyline like this one with the Winter Soldier, where then suddenly there would be half of the book taken up by some inane secondary <laughs> plot that connects to the event. Right? Sure. And that's in many ways just worse. Because right now, yeah. literally if you wanted to, you could take number 10 out and you'd never notice. Yeah, no. You in fact, wouldn't. you'd be happier, to be quite frank. So yeah. there's nothing wrong with the Captain America number 10 book, but I don't think that there's anything that particularly makes it memorable enough that that I would think it would need to be. You know, if you did a collected edition of the Winter Soldier, you would just ditch that. And I'm sure that the collected editions are all just the six issues of Winter Soldier. Right, right. You know? No, I, I I really I really like the books this week. Definitely would highly recommend if you have Marvel Unlimited or have access uh, to the 2004 to 2006 run of Captain America and can read these 14 books sans maybe book 10. Uh, I would highly recommend you doing so. Absolutely agree. And they were a lot of fun to reread. Uh, I've read these probably three or four times now. And you always kind of catch a few things. The art is always worth it. So highly recommended. And, uh, and I think it also is a really good supplement to the Captain America and the Winter Soldier movie uh, that we'll be watching next week. This is definitely some of the material that was very, very important to that. So, so that does cover what what's coming up next next week we are going to be watching uh captain america the winter soldier from 2014 i don't know what year that was i don't know for sure i think if that's so the year 
I think it's 2014. Yep, that sounds right. All right. And we did get a little correspondence this week. Actually, uh, heard from Ian. And he mentioned that one thing he'd be interested to see, and this is something that Dwayne and I have talked about, so I wanted to open it up in case anybody else is interested in this, is potentially that we expand out a little bit from the MCU and talk about some other movies that are uh, adaptations of comic books. Uh, that potentially instead of, uh, as we are comics over time, not just MCU over time, spending yes. a little bit of, uh, of our energies either taking a look maybe at a few of the DC movies or more specifically even some of the adaptations that aren't even superhero uh, in nature. And I would certainly be open to that. Uh, if anybody else is interested in that sort of thing, we would love it if you would send us a note and let us know. But I think that might be a direction that we will be looking towards as we head through this year as well, is getting yes. a few other other things in. Def definitely something that we can, at the very least, we can from time to time uh, go that route. Uh, there definitely is a lot of marvel and mc related things that 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 we're looking at but we we can at least you know take a side street and look at look at some other stuff as well if not taking you know a little more time than just just a a uh yep we are not running out of content let's put it that way no. there are there are <laughs> exactly. there are marvel shows remaining yeah but uh see how it goes here and that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you're new to the show or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on, on the show or what we've been talking about this week, which is Captain America and the Winter Soldier. You can send us those comments via email. We are comments at comicsovertime.com or you can message us via social media we're on twitter at comicsovertime and on hive social at comicsovertime dan i think i became an ed brubaker fan this week after reading those books from 2004 and i'm very much looking forward to seeing the second captain american movie this this upcoming week absolutely Excellent. Yeah, I am. I am as well. I enjoy that movie a lot. Looking forward to rewatching it and then coming back and visiting with you about it. So good times. Until next week, everyone. Take care. Yep. Have a great one, folks. <laughs> <laughs>